0: out of our whole portfolio that we manage properties for maybe like 25 50 bucks some rents got reduced but for the most part we were able to hold firm or hold steady with our rents
1: are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah larvey
2: Hey, welcome back. It's Sarah Larvey. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? Thanks for tuning in again this week. And today we have Jared Hope, who is a longtime real estate investor, having invested in over 400 real estate transactions across Canada, lives out in Western Canada. A lot of his investments are actually out in Western Canada and we have him, he was a prior guest, but we have him come back and, uh, you know, take a a different approach to our interview where we're talking a lot, a lot of great insights, a lot of great tips, information, and and strategies along the way. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and also don't forget to leave a rating and a review if you enjoy these podcasts. And uh, before we bring in Jared, let's bring in Dahlia to hear what is new and exciting in
3: the financing world. Dahlia, what is today's tip of the week? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in today's episode, I will continue to share with you how financing for residential properties that are one to four units is different from financing for multifamily properties that are five plus units. In the last episode, I shared differences such as how lenders approve the mortgages, the lending ratios, the differences in down payment, as well as in net worth requirements. In this episode, I will go over the differences in amortization financing costs, and approval timelines. Starting with amortization. The maximum amortization on a residential property is 30 years. With multifamily properties, you can get up to 25 years for a conventional mortgage and up to 40 years for a CMHC-insured mortgage, assuming that the remaining economic life of the property exceeds the amortization by at least 5 years. This means that CMHC will not extend a 40 years amortization on a property that won't live beyond the life of the mortgage. As for the financing costs, there are various things that you need to take into consideration. These include appraisal, legal, environmental assessment and building condition reports, lender and broker fees, lender's annual review fees, as well as CMHC's fees. Appraisals are more expensive compared to those for 1 to 4 units up to five times the cost and sometimes higher if the property is located in a rural area. Legal fees are also more expensive as you cover not only your lawyer's fee, but the lender's legal fees. I suggest that you plan for $3,500, but again, this figure may differ depending on the size of the building where more legal work is needed. If you are applying for a CMHC-insured mortgage, CMHC will also charge $150 per door to review the file for approval. For example, on a five-unit, that would be $750. Depending on the size of the loan for a multifamily property and its proximity to things that may expose it to environmental contamination, such as gas stations, laundry facilities, or even oil tanks, some lenders will require an Environmental Assessment Level 1 and or a Building Condition Report, each of which costs about $3,000. Many lenders also charge an annual review fee that ranges from $250 to $2,500. This, of course, does not exist in the residential world. The last difference is is in the timelines. Everything takes much, much longer. Uh, from approvals to appraisals to closings. With residential mortgages, you often get a mortgage in five business days. An appraisal can also be done within a hour window, as well as rush closings in two weeks. In the multifamily space, things are different. Appraisals take three to four weeks. Approvals only are issued once all of the documents are sent to the lender uh, in addition to the appraisal. And an approval takes about Three to four weeks to be issued. If you are with CMHC, that can go up to eight weeks. And on top of that, closings would take three to four weeks. It is important for you to account for these timelines in your offer. If you are looking to get into multifamily properties and are looking for guidance, or if you're currently investing in multifamily and are looking for sophisticated financing strategies to help you scale, such as funding for renovations or higher loan-to-values on buildings, our team at Streetwise Mortgages would be happy to assist. To discuss a deal or to book a planning session, email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success.
2: Awesome, Dahlia, thank you for that tip. Streetwise Mortgages, guys, reach out to them if you haven't yet. That brings us now to bringing in Jared Hope for the interview. Enjoy today's interview. Jared, welcome to the show once again. How are you?
0: I'm unbelievable. Uh, in the land of Kelowna, which is just fantastic, and it's just gorgeous. Spring is, spring is on us right now.
2: That's amazing. I'm a little jealous, to be honest. When uh, oh, we're recording this in Ontario, I think our, our temperatures are slightly different because I, I won't step outside right now you know one of the things i remember from our prior podcasts i think you had like 150 doors by then and i'm like how you know what advice would you give somebody to get to 150 doors and i remember this you're like don't do it <laughs> don't do it. do it and i thought that was that was really insightful because you know exactly the challenges and it's not always rainbows and butterflies but what has been happening i guess in the last couple of years since the pandemic for you in terms of real estate
0: well, you know, like, first of all, I have 150 properties, not doors. Oh, and, yeah. you know, so like, it's so easy to acquire doors. And I hear people talk all the time. I got X amount of doors. Well, you can go buy one building with 15 or 20 doors. So getting one transaction is relatively easy. Getting 150 transactions is really tough. And, you know, so I, I just, I just like the 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 properties versus the doors. Um, what's going on, man? I like get... My portfolio is pandemic proof, um, which is completely amazing. In 2010, when we came out of that recession, um, the, the financial recession back in 2008, 9, 10, like we, man, we almost went bankrupt and we hit the bottom and we had to restructure our portfolio. So from 2010 to 2015, my 16, 17, I was on a big push to rebuild the portfolio. So it was recession proof. And it got to the point where it was because in 2016, 17, Alberta hit a recession and we, we got through it relatively smoothly. And then the pandemic hits and March 17th, March 20th, you know, they they announced the pandemic here in Canada and everything starts shutting down. And it was pure chaos um, as it was on your end. I'm sure, you know, from what to do with all these mortgages and the stresses of having all these properties and how do I pay for them if tenants don't pay, what's the government going to do with the, with tenants, you know, cause at that point in time, we're seeing Ontario saying, don't, tenants don't have to pay rent. Tenants don't have to pay rent. And I'm like, Holy fuck. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, how's that even possible? And you know, so fast forward, we got through it. I deferred all my mortgage payments and all my tenants just kind of wrapped our arms around everybody and increased customer service. And so now what I've realized is our portfolio is pandemic proof. So let's, let's,
2: let's talk about that. Like, I mean, because I, I think that's an interesting concept. And I think that it's also, you know, going to be uh, a test in the next couple years, depending on, on the aftermath and the, you know, economic recovery of, of what, what's happening in Canada right now. You know, what does pandemic proof mean? And, and what did you specifically do?
0: Well, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't know what pandemic proof is because I think every pandemic is like, I don't know if I'll ever see another pandemic again in my life. I, I sure hope not. This was, this was terrible.
3: Or recession. You know, like my,
0: then let's just, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, my, my big thing is, you know, like I didn't want to be too leveraged out. So, you know, so there's, there's appreciation, uh, you know, you want to have a gap in value versus debt. Obviously that's, that's, uh, um, you know, that's one thing. And then another thing is not being leveraged out with payments. And, you know, back in 2000, maybe 2005 to 2010, I was pretty leveraged out with, you know, I, I had some equity in my houses because when I started buying real estate, real estate was going up 30, 40, 50% a year. It's crazy. But I didn't create that insulation with cash flow. And so now, when in 2010, when we started rebuilding our portfolio, we started looking at, okay, we want to build insulation of appreciation always, um, which meant if I can't get appreciation, I have to get mortgage pay down. So that's how we had to create the gap. So we started targeting six properties a year where I was doubling my payments for those six properties. And so what's happened over the last eight or nine, 10 years is I've actually been able to get about 12, 14 properties where they're under a hundred thousand dollars in mortgage debt. So at, at first everyone's like, well, don't, that doesn't make sense because your ROI, you know, you want to be leveraged out. I'm like, I totally get that if you're just starting out the game, but I'm almost like, I can see the finish line, like the finish line's coming up. And so I'm playing a different game than other people are. So I'm trying to create insulation. I'm trying to create gap. By, by creating the gap of uh, a value versus debt, and once again, you can get value by appreciation, or you can get, or create the gap by appreciation. Or you can create the gap by buying down the debt. By buying down the debt, I've been able to increase my cash flow. So, what? So, back in 2010, we started targeting these, you know, these these dozen properties, um, handful of properties. It was it was increasing my cash flow. By the time we hit a recession in 2016 in Alberta, so. When we hit the recession in 2016, my, my cash flow never changed, which which meant my quality of life never changed, which meant I was still able to live where I was living, live the quality of life that I was living, because when a recession hits and rents drop, I take a pay cut every day, and when I take a pay cut, quality of life changes. Quality of life will change. Stress adds to the pour, to the mix, right? So when we so after 2016 2018 we got through this recession. I'm like, okay, that worked. Let's just double up now. Let's start buying down more. So, what I was doing was, I was taking this extra cash flow that we were getting, and I just started targeting more houses to create the gap. So, fast forward to the pandemic, when the pandemic happened, worst case scenario, I could reduce all of my rents down to bare bones, still make all my payments, but still maintain my quality of life. So, but I didn't really know how that would work. And, you know, so what I think. So what's happening now is I think people um, are getting caught up in the appreciation game again. And we're starting to see it in Ontario. You're seeing it for sure in Ontario. We're seeing it out here in the Okanagan. I live in Kelowna. Um, Like this appreciation game is like really ramping up again. We're seeing crazy amounts of appreciation in the lower mainland out in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. But people are starting to lose sight of the gap on cash flow now because the appreciation is so lucrative. And, you know, like, so next week, they're supposed to announce that uh, mortgage rates are going to start going up. I read a report that they're saying mortgage rates are rates are going to go up seven times in the next two years. You know, so all of a sudden, if you start looking at stuff like that, if you're not paying attention to the cash flow gap, you know, like, there could be some problems coming up in the next couple years.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then just for the listeners, you know, because you mentioned the the recession in 2016 and and in Ontario, we really didn't feel a whole lot. Where are the majority of the properties that you have?
0: I have, I am like 99% in Alberta. You know, I have a, I have a couple in, in BC. Uh, I'm not a big fan of BC. We have a land transfer tax here. The Canada Act here isn't nearly as friendly as it is in Alberta. So I'm pro, pro Alberta, love oil, hate oil. It doesn't matter. Oil ain't going anywhere for the next thirty, forty 40 years. And I just, I just see a lot. Of, I, I just love Alberta.
2: So when you say Alberta, are you talking about Calgary, Edmonton? You know, are there other areas that you, you're, yeah. that you would suggest people, people potentially look into that you're invested in?
0: Yeah. Like I, I love Edmonton. I'm pro Edmonton. There's a couple, there's a, there's a small city called Grand Prairie, Alberta, which is about four hours 350 kilometers north of Edmonton great little town the problem with GP is it's very boomer bust and when oil is 80 to 100 dollars a barrel that city's vacancy is zero percent um, but the problem with oil is it goes up and then it goes down so we you know you got we you got to be careful with that um, Fort McMurray is uh, north um, east of the province and the problem with Fort Mac is it's just pure oil and same thing, boomer bust. When the times are good, it's it's very lucrative. Uh, when times are bad, it's a little tough. Um, I like Edmonton a lot versus uh, over Calgary. I know there's a bunch of people or organizations that will rank Calgary ahead of Edmonton. Um, the reason why I like Calgary ahead, or sorry, Edmonton ahead of Calgary, is Emmonton's very a lot more blue collar. So there's more government workers, big farming industry. It's a hub for an industrial part of Edmonton. All these people that live in northern Alberta and work in the patch, they, a lot of them will reside in Edmonton. They won't reside in Calgary. So they'll live in Edmonton, families will live in Edmonton, and one of them will commute back and forth for work. Because to get to Grand Prairie is four hours, Cold Lakes two hours, Fort Max, you know, four and a half hours. So I'm a big Edmonton uh, uh, fan. I just see Calgary as a little bit more boom and bust, uh, whereas Edmonton's kind of more of a steady uptick. Yeah, and the vacancy rates are always relatively low in Edmonton.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite Strategy, the Burr strategy, so he's well versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is Blackjack. Contracting Inc. CA, and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So guys, hundred percent, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that. Finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle, and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the burst strategy.
1: And now back to the show.
2: Yeah, I mean it is definitely interesting because I think you you know you may not get the same appreciation that Ontario has been getting in the last you know ten years, but I'm sure yep. that you know, from a potential cash flow standpoint, mortgage pay down standpoint, there's still, you know, a lot of, a lot of opportunity there. But I want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned, because there's a few things, right? So a few things as, as you are in a different stage of your investment career, and you're starting to, you know, pay down some, some mortgages. I just I was hoping for some clarification on let's just say you had, you know, mentioned that there's a couple a few properties that you have with with 100k mortgages. Like do you reamortize that if you had to? Like is that the plan uh in order to make more cash flow or or like I mean let's just say something were to happen you've got low mortgages, you know, how do you ensure that your your rents can still sustain if you had to drop the rents as an example? Like what like what are your thoughts? Yeah.
0: Yeah, like oh, man well, let me let me back up. So, I'll answer. I'm going to kind of jump all over the place, as you know, I do. So, first of all, I see a huge opportunity with investors in Ontario. You know, like in, investors in Ontario are mainly playing the cash flow game, or not cash flow, appreciation game, because we're seeing a like I got a client who invests out in Ontario. He had six or seven properties, and he started working with us. And I'm like, dude, like we're selling two of these things. We're taking some money off the table. I get you have all this equity, but equity means nothing if you can't live off of it on a monthly basis. So I love equity. That's awesome. But there's a balancing act that people in Ontario are, have the potential to play right now. So if, if people in Ontario, investors in Ontario, Vancouver, the Okanagan, where we've seen you know, 10 can 15 20% appreciations year over year for the last five years, you could have bought a house years ago for $500,000, and today it's worth $1.2 million. Like, that's legit happening out, out in these areas. The mistake investors make is they hold onto that property. I believe that you should sell that property, sell it, crystallize your earnings, port the mortgage, go buy some other products. So now you can create this balanced portfolio where you have some being played in the appreciation world called Toronto or the GTA or, or in the surrounding areas where you've seen this appreciation. But then you can move some of that money to Alberta where you're getting the strong cash flow but less appreciation. So you're not getting the, 10, 15% appreciation in Alberta, you're going to get 4 to 6%, but you're going to get $1,000 a month cash flow. So you're going to be able to balance the portfolio out where there's now you're going to start reducing your risk, where then you start getting more uh, attractive to banks because your service to debt ratios get back into alignment when you can have all this appreciation, but zero cash flow throws off your service to debt ratios, then you, which means you have to start looking for hard money. The, the benefit to you know, like back in the day, I never, I had two portfolios. So, and I share this story often. It's the tale of two portfolios. One portfolio is I had this joint venture partner and he wanted to refinance the property. So we had about 30, 40 properties in this one portfolio and every five years it was like refinance, refinance, stretch it back out to 30 years, keep your payment down, take the money off, keep your payments the same. Like that was our strategy and it was fine. It worked because, um, Every five years, I was injecting a couple hundred grand into my bank account, which I would then turn and buy more real estate with, whereas my partner would go off and spend it. Fast forward 15 years, and I'll get to the other story in a second, the other portfolio, but fast forward 15, 20 years, this portfolio is still leveraged out. It's still 80% value. uh, Well, maybe a little bit less because values have gone up but it's still leveraged out to the max. We haven't experienced any mortgage pay down in 15, 20 years. Yeah, we've taken money off the table, but once again, he spent it all. So it's it's moot, it doesn't matter to him. Whereas the tail of the other portfolio, which is called Hope Properties, which is my portfolio, I have maybe 80 properties in that one. And I think I've maybe refinanced five in the last 20 years. I have not restructured my mortgages. I'm still holding the course. I've increased my debt. So I'm starting to create this massive gap that I have mortgages that are, you know, legit four years from being paid off or or six months from being paid off or so on and so on, right? So, you know, when when a mortgage gets below $100,000, your payment's like $178 a month, you know, and my rent is $2,000 or $3,000 a month. My, I got such spread in there that I can reduce my rents as much as possible. I'm not a big believer of refinancing and stretching out and pulling, like I'm not a big believer of that at, at my stage in the game. New investor after five years, if you're refinancing to pull the money out to go buy another asset, yeah, play that game, leverage out, stretch it back over 30 years and pull the money out, go buy another house. Absolutely, as long as your cash flow is all within a certain limit, uh, minimum that allows you to reduce if stuff ever, you know, if something bad ever shows up. Does
2: that make sense? Yeah. So I'm just trying to, so maybe, maybe I'll just get you to clarify this. So like, you know, you've got a property that's worth 400 grand and you're paying it down. You know, if your rate is the same and your payment is the same, if you're not reamortizing, whether it's got 200 grand left or a hundred grand, like, yeah, I get that you're paying it down. So you're paying more principal and less interest, but I don't see how your monthly payments would be reduced that much if you're technically still on the same mortgage paydown plan, unless you're re-amazing.
0: yeah. It, well, it all depends on what the rates do, right? Like right. so, yeah, yeah, like like so. Go back five years ago. I'll give okay. Live so examples. you're talking about the rates. Right. It, it, it all us. depends.
2: Right. Okay. Got it. So like, yeah. If so it, going, it it all depends. So if the rates are going up higher, like I just want to just clarify Correct. for the listeners. So if the rates are higher, the payments, re- even if you have a $50,000 know, mortgage left, if you're not re-amortizing, it's still going to be essentially the same as if you had 500 grand still left payments are the same, unless you're re-amortizing at that point. Correct. But you're at least giving yourself the opportunity to be able to re-amortize if shit hits the fan. And all of a sudden, like, not that you necessarily would, but maybe somebody would, if they said all of a sudden, you know, they've need to, they need to reduce their monthly their monthly payments, because for whatever reason, they're you know I, I don't know. Alberta is, is obviously a, a different situation than Ontario because maybe there's a, you know a need to reduce the rents uh, in in places like that to to be able to still cash flow. So,
0: yeah, there, there's a, there's a couple things. One, you know, like rates have to be factored in. Like over the last ten, really over the last fifteen years, rates have been dropping. You know, like I just renewed uh, like a hundred mortgages a year and a half ago at one point five two percent. Yeah. Like that, or and I locked in for five years. You right. know, like how do, how do you not lock in for five years at that point? And you know, so my payments continue to drop. There are a handful of properties to this day that I still have increased my payments to. So, five years later, when I renew, even if it's at a new, at the exact same rate, my payments drop because I bought down my principal. If rates do go up, I have zero issue re amortizing it over to a longer period of time to lower my payments. The, however, the problem that I run into is when I go to re-amortize, I have to re-qualify. And a lot of times if you built your portfolio incorrectly and there's not a lot of, you know, if your service to debt ratios or DCR numbers are out of whack, you might not re-qualify for the amortization or for the extension because they'll consider it as a a new file. So it's not as easy as for me anyways for walking into the bank with hundred and something properties saying, hey, I want to renew that mortgage at a 30 year I I don't always qualify.
2: Right. So you talk about a thousand dollars a month cash flow. I mean, that sounds awesome. I mean, I, I think parts of Ontario, like with the right birth strategies and like you know, converting to multiple units, you can't just do it with one or two. I, I don't think at this point anymore, for the most parts. What strategy do you do you find that for you know where you're investing in Alberta in in 2022 still works where you can find that thousand dollars a month cash flow?
0: Yeah, so funny. Burrs don't really work out out west right now. Like I shouldn't say they work in BC, but they don't really work in Alberta because we're not seeing the the mm-hmm. you know unforced appreciation. Right. You know, like you know, so you buy a house, like you have to force it and force the appreciation with a with a large Reno. You can't do a lipstick and rouge because you're not seeing the five six percent increases in appreciation every month like you're seeing in other parts of the country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So burrs don't work, and you know, so the types of product that um, like we're flipping houses. Like, so I'll buy a house, renovate and, and flip it. Uh, we'll put a legal suite in it, a basement suite. And those are working less and less as well. Because what's happening is the lower end prices are starting to come up, but the top end level prices haven't moved yet. You know, so a house I was I was paying two eighty for two years ago and selling, you know, for 490, 480. Today I'm paying like I have two offers out today. One's 300 and the other one's 325. But my, my, and price hasn't moved. So the gap is starting to shrink. So that's getting less and less. Um, But what's really working out in in all over the country, not just in Edmonton, um, but suited houses like two for the price of one. There's a there's a guy, Kerry Pranich, who I've had uh, many, many conversations with out of Edmonton. He comes up with, he quoted this saying two for the price of one. He didn't quote it, but he says this two for the price of one. And it makes total sense. Like that's where all your cash flow lives. That's where your um, uh, you know the game is less risky when you have two tenants versus one. Um, and there's just way more upside over the next ten years with a suited house. So I personally push suited houses. I I t- everyone I talk to, every podcast I do, every every uh, like every house that I do right now is a suited house.
2: Mm-hmm. So you obviously have you know the ability to take something, convert it, make it two units select your own, you know, tenants, put your own rents in. I, I, one of the things I, you know, I, I love Ontario, but one of the things I don't love about Ontario is, is the rules with the, with landlord. You know, what does that look like for, for Alberta? Like what are the, what's the upside?
0: Oh man. Like I I believe that when you invest in a business, which we're going to call it real estate, I think you have to do business where the rules are the best period. You know, like, that's why I like, that's, I live in BC and I don't invest in BC. I have two properties in BC and everything's in Alberta. In Alberta, we have no land transfer tax, which is amazing. You know, like with the no land transfer tax, you know, that, you, know you go buy five houses, for example, savings of that land transfer tax gets you a six house in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, but more important the landlord tenant act is extremely friendly in Alberta. Like in Ontario, you have to fill out all these forms, these N's and these Rs or whatever these forms are in order to evict tenants. And you can't even get them out. Whereas in Alberta, it's a 14 day eviction notice. It's like, here's your notice. If you're not out by day number 15 um, it's actually day number 16. Cause the day you serve it on and the day it comes to you on doesn't count. So 16 days, you know, I can get a sheriff, a bailiff and I can seize the property. And so I could have my property back in like 20 to 25 days from the time I post a notice. And that's with going to court, you know, in Alberta we can raise rents once every 365 days an unlimited amount of money. So as the market goes up, you're, you know, what's going to start happening is we've done it before where there's two, three, four, $500 rent increases because supply and demand. Whereas in Ontario, what is it a 2%? Well, if there's anything right now in BC, it's a a 2% increase. It
2: was zero. This year is 1.2%. And I mean,
3: obviously
2: peanuts. So, but, but obviously you can increase it, but what about when, you know, things are are a little rough with the oil and gas industry or jobs are are not as plentiful? Like, have you had a situation where you had to reduce rents?
0: Oh yeah. Like, you know, like the pandemic, let's use the pandemic as a classic example, you know, like the pandemic happens, we were shitting our pants, wondering how many tenants are going to pay rent. We just, we legit had no idea. And it was, it was, it was like a small percentage. We managed 650 properties in Edmonton. And I bet you in any given month, we had like one to 2% of our tenants not paying rent. Now, a lot of that comes from tenant profiling. You know, it has nothing to do with the job sector. It has nothing to do with oil and gas. It's all about how you, how you place your tenants. You know, if you're doing the right checks and the right screening and picking the right people, you'll never have a problem. If you're renting the people who have, you know, bad credit and, you know, they, they're credit seekers and they're in the service world, service workers, nothing against service workers at all, or not, uh, like restaurants. You know, there's more risk there than there is someone who has husband and wife who work, have B plus credit, have a couple a car each. Uh, a couple of young kids who go to school in the area, there's less risk with them than than a, you know, a 22-year-old, for example, nothing against 22-year-olds. But a lot of that has to do with your tenant profiling and how well you screen your tenants versus the type of industry they're in.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors and Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single-family purchases, and the list goes on.
2: That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go?
4: They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at the right club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show.
1: And now back to the show.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was more, I was curious because you're obviously raising it, you know, when, when needed, the, the rents year over year, but there's likely, I, I think it's just a little bit different than Ontario, you know, a little bit more of, you know, a common thing out in, in Alberta that the rents can also come down, which I don't think we've had in Ontario, maybe, you know, even though in the pandemic, other than maybe some Toronto condos uh, at the very, very beginning that, that moved in price a little bit mm-hmm. downwards. I think the majority of, you know, everybody else likely kept, kept the rents at, at that price. And then they've obviously gone yeah. up since then. So I think it's just, like that- even, yeah, even ahead.
0: during, even during the pandemic, like we didn't raise drop rents. Like I'm not, we didn't drop them hundreds of dollars. You know, so in the worst time in the world that I, sorry, in the worst time of investing in my world. So in the last 20 years, the pandemic was the the most stressed Mm -hmm. and not just for me, but all of like, once again, we have 400 clients that we manage properties for. And out of our whole portfolio that we manage properties for maybe like 25, 50 bucks, some rents got reduced. But for the most part, we were able to hold firm Mm -hmm. or hold steady with our rents. Yeah. so but 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 do they drop in alberta absolutely so what happens in alberta when vacancy rate goes up so right now our vacancy and tilt is like three and a half percent so um in 2016 in in 2017 i think got about six six and a half percent so it was a little bit higher so we can get a little bit more creative because i i know i can get my rents back up whereas in ontario you guys have tend to hold a little bit firmer because you can't get your rents back up ever. So a $200 price drop to get that unit filled is going to take you 20 years to get back.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Whereas
0: in Alberta, we sit there and say, okay, you know, let's, if there's three other 10 other units in the area for rent for 1800, let's put ours at 1700, let's fill it right away. And then in 12 months, we're going to bring it back up or above par above market and then we're going to capture it all later. So you do see a little bit more movement over the years, uh, over the, over the year in, in Alberta, but Mm -hmm. the long haul, that's more of a strategy on how to rent it. Because once again, we have the ability to drop and pick it back up.
2: I think that's the big difference, right? Is it, if we, if we drop it, it becomes lawful rents. So you don't want to drop it. If if anything, you want to give them like a gift card or something along those, those lines that has nothing to do with rents because we just, are still rent controlled already here in the country minus the new units though. Like as of right now, I mean, this could all change depending on who's in power, but once Kathleen Wynne left and, and Ford came in, the one good thing that he did was, uh, you know, remove the rent control starting November 15th of 20, 2018. So anything that was a new unit built after that is not subject to rent control. So yeah. uh, again, I mean, I'm sure, you know, huge. that's going to change at some point, but that, that was a huge help, but I do want but, to go but the back. Pro-
0: but, the, but the problem with that is I get there's, you know, uh, well, there's no rent control, so you can raise the rents unlimited.
2: Once a year, ninety-day notice. That's- yeah,
0: sweet. So, okay. yeah. so like, as far as a, a strategy, a management strategy, that's ginormous. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you have a place that comes up for rent and there's three others for rent, you can lower your rent. You now you're just eating, you know, twelve months. And then if you if you go into a situation twelve months later where you have zero percent vacancy, now your rent increase goes up. That tenant's not going to move because they have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm you know and if you if you depending on your tenant profile like i like families i love families i love i love young couples um it's really hard to pick up and move kids it's really hard if it's just you know a boyfriend girlfriend they can pick up and move overnight mm-hmm. and it's really hard to move kids right cuz they're connected and they're dialed into the area so if it depending on your tenant profile there's very little movement movement anyway so it's a great strategy
2: yeah absolutely I mean, Alberta seems interesting and, and you said it's not really a burr, and I do agree with you. I feel like with the three, but the three letters of the burr, like you'd still, you still buy, you still renovate, you still rent, you just can't really necessarily refinance off the top. But when you said that suited, you know, properties work well, like you're essentially converting. You're just not necessarily, you know, getting the lift to be able to refinance and reuse the same money into the next deal. You're likely just keeping it in the deal once the, re, you know, Correct. or you're just buying yeah already already done as a two unit
0: like like burr's work it's just not it's just not as lucrative and it's Mm -hmm. a little bit different than than what what people are seeing in ontario or or the lower mainland or the okanagan you know like you can go buy it renovate it rent it refinance it a couple problems with the refi is if it doesn't actually hit the market there's not a lot of comps on the market it's not like
1: Mm -hmm. you know
0: you go to ontario and everyone's doing these things so you just have so much you know, so many comps, right, for appraisers to use. One of the challenges that we have with this approach in Alberta is getting the comps. Like there's just the, the appraisers, just no comps, especially if it's not on MLS. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a challenge. So burs do work. You just nec- You can't necessarily pull out as much money as you'd like. So, you know, so say that end value of the house is $500,000. You know, a normal purchase, you'd have to put $100,000 down on it which is, which is fine. So now you do this burr. maybe instead of a hundred, maybe you're getting it for 80, you know, or, or, you know, 85, you know, so you're saving 10, 15 grand, but it, so it still works. You're just not able to pull out as much money as you think.
2: So is it probably easier to just buy an already suited property on the market? Yeah. And you know, whether a property management company puts the tenants in there or whatnot, and you can kind of just yeah. more of a buy and hold for cash flow type of deal.
0: Yeah. Like Alberta right now is pure buy and hold. It's a pure buy and hold strategy. You know, you start looking at the fundamentals of Alberta, you look at oil, you look at, you know, if anyone's thinking any of your listeners are thinking of, of investing in Alberta, I'd go follow Jason Kenny on social media. Jason Kenney's our premier, love him or hate him. It doesn't really matter. But the, the truth is, on social media, he's he's pumping everything that he's doing. Like he's getting ready for a new election. He's re- getting ready to run again. He wants to get back in. His popularity is at an all time low. He is pumping the economy. Alberta has the lowest tax lowest taxes for gov- uh, for uh, for new business for any business. The 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 oil and gas sector is getting huge discounts to invest there. So there's a lot of energy. This new um, uh, um, the new energy sector Um, because they're trying to move into electric uh, energy. Um, So there's all kinds of stuff that's happening there. So you start following Jason Taney, it's like, oh my God, there's a lot of stuff happening. Mm -hmm. You follow Doug Ford, there's nothing happening in Ontario. You follow John Horgan out here in Ontario, there's nothing happening in BC. So you go where the work is. And there's just a, there's a huge opportunity in Alberta from a buy and hold play. And, you know, will there come a time where burrs work or flips work um, or uh, assignments and holes? Absolutely. It's just right now for the next few years, Alberta is a strong buy and hold market with strong cash flow. it's.
2: Oh, I mean, it's it's. I think it's always good to diversify a little bit outside of your province regardless and, you know, potentially even into a different country, especially where, where things, you know, are may not be headed. Who knows what's going to happen with, with the current government in place. But you do bring a good point with the, the buy and hold piece and, you know, not that you can't do that in Ontario per se, but your cash flow is not going to be what it is obviously it sounds like from from your standpoint you're not getting $1000 a month of cash flow by buying and holding in ontario unless you're going 6 7 hours i think out of the gta at this point in time mm-hmm. or you're buying you know a multifamily with a uh, a few vacant units that you can reset market rents right. um, or doing right. cash for keys on on some units and hoping the tenants do agree to leave are you that that
0: that cash for keys concept blows me away sarah like i can't I got lots of clients that are investors in Ontario coaching clients that we work with. And they always tell me about this cash for keys. I'm like, that's just the bizarre thing. Cause in Alberta, it's just like, here's, here's your 90 days notice. Get out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in you Ontario, know? you're not getting rid of a tenant unless you're moving into it yourself, your your parent or your child or, or you're selling in the person that's moving in, you know, that, that bought is moving in. Like, unless they're like doing something illegal or they're not paying rent like you are like that's a tenant for life so this is goes back to screening piece you know maybe part of your screening process is somebody that wants to do maybe a rent to own in the future on a separate property or has a goal Mm -hmm. of buying their own place or has been a prior homeowner or whatnot because i mean otherwise like you're you can't just be like 90 days see ya you know like it's it just there's just yeah this is why cash for keys is you know, but I think at this point, a lot of tenants are, are, you know, have come around to it and now they're expecting some of them 20 grand or some crazy amounts. And, you know, they, and they know that they can stay. And it, it is, I mean, it is what it is. So, you know, are you also investing? I'm just curious because you said we are predominantly in, in Alberta, but are you investing outside the country? Are you thinking of investing outside of the country? Oh uh,
0: Sarah, back in 2009, 2010, we're coming out of the financial recession. Krista and I go to Phoenix and we looked at some houses there and I'm like, okay, let's start investing in Phoenix. And I didn't do it. So long story short, I didn't do it. I wish I did because it just took off like that. So to answer your question, no, I don't. And the main reason why I don't, I'm so good in my lane. Okay. Like I I stick to my lane and my lane is Alberta, suited houses, um, holding the course. Cause once again, my finish line is right there. So I don't have to diversify. I don't have to jump yet. Will I later potentially, I, I don't know what's next, but right now I'm staying, I'm holding the course. Is there opportunity in the States? I believe there is. Do I know anything about investing in the States? Absolutely not. I've never looked at it because I just hold my course. You know, we're, we're just starting to look at Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency stuff now, because it's like, okay, like I built the portfolio good enough that we can start looking at other scenarios. I've never, you know, Chris has asked me multiple times, let's go buy a strip mall or let's go buy this big, these big buildings. I'm like, no, if I'm holding my course, I'm like, let me finish the race. And if I can finish the race with my current portfolio, we're going to be doing like $300,000 a month of positive cash flow. We're going to have a $40 million real estate portfolio, clear title. I got like six to seven years of this game left before I start looking at other opportunities. But in saying all that, I know lots of people who invest in the state, Sarah, and there, there's, there's opportunity everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned, uh, before we get into the lightning round, your property (laughs) management company.
0: Uh, so tilt is awesome. Like, uh, I love tilt and the, the property management business is just out of Edmonton. So we service the Edmonton and area. Uh, you know, I built it years and years ago. I used to use, I went through three property management companies and they were all the same. You know, they, the poor service, uh, poor response times, you know, they collected my money, my rent, put it in their bank account, spent it how they, they saw fit, sent me whatever money was left over. So in that model, I was out of control. So my wife and I, Chris and I created this management company based off of how we wanted it run for us. And lo and behold, it works for others. And so that's my management company out of Edmonton. We help investors find real estate. Um, we spun off a coaching program out of it, which is called JK Jared and Krista Coaching, JK Coaching. So now we have this real estate coaching. We have this, and we have the property management division. They kind of, you know, they kind of blend into each other. So yeah, that's that's tilt. It's awesome.
2: Very cool. I was watching uh, a YouTube, a bunch of YouTube videos yesterday, and uh, as you were talking about the different the different avenues, one of the things I was watching because I'm actually you know planning on putting together a, a YouTube uh, series. Um, But one of the things I I was listening to and and she was quite good at explaining is just all of the different types of income, right? And how millionaires have at least five or more different types of, you know, income from different sources. Are you able to just give us, you know, just what they are for you?
0: Yeah. So I don't know if I heard the same thing as you, but I've often read that. I never, to be honest, I, I was all in on real estate back in the years, back You know, 2003, when I bought my first house. If Sarah, if someone told me that my life would be the way it is today in 2003, I never would have believed them. I never. And so I have my real estate portfolio. So we have our 150 properties. And so we have that revenue stream. We have our tilt management. So we manage 650 properties. I renovate, I have a renovation business where we renovate other people's rentals. So people can come to us and hire us and we specialize in legal suites. So I I have to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the city of Edmonton for legalizing suites. So we have a renovation business. I flip houses. So we flip about 12 to 15 houses a year. Um, I have my coaching uh, business um, where we work with 10 to 12 coaching clients across Canada a year. We're just getting into like cryptocurrency and stuff like that. Yeah. So I got, that will be six and I think I'm missing one. Oh, I have a, I have a, collections business. Uh, I have a collections company that handles, you know, obviously evictions and stuff like that. So we have that, that feed. So I got six or seven different lines of revenue coming in. It's all all from real estate. It's fantastic.
2: Amazing. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. So Jerry, the next part of the podcast is lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You probably answered them a couple years ago when you were on the podcast, but uh, let's see if the answers have changed. Are you ready to play? Let's do it. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free, customized, individualized 90-day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah.
1: And now back to the show.
2: All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book?
0: Oh man, two. And I'm going to give you actually three rich dad, poor dad. Obviously that's a staple for everyone. Don Campbell's real estate investing in Canada is an amazing one, but that a non real estate book is the big leap by Gay Hendricks. And I find that people will read real estate books all day long, but it's mindset that stops them from doing anything. So the big leap by Gay Hendricks is an unbelievable book.
2: All right. Thanks for sharing. Question number two, this doesn't have to be real estate specific. You have a favorite podcast.
0: Uh, yeah, Sarah Larby. Um, no, I
2: mean, they're already uh, listening yeah. <laughs> to mine. What else can they listen to after this? Yeah, you
0: know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, one thing I really like is I got into, uh, uh, uh Andy Frizzella, uh, Frisella with hard, uh, hard 75.
3: Okay. Cool.
0: And it, like, so I, it, it's a totally off the cuff the guy swears all the time, which I like, but it's, it's a podcast of just shut up and do it. Like, just stop making excuses and just do it. And so I listen to that one all the time when I run.
2: Nice, I, you know what? On my Instagram, I'm noticing a lot of people are doing the hard 75 right now.
0: <laughs> have, have you? So, so I did it last year, and it is hard. I got to 58 days.
2: What was the hardest and, part of it?
0: Oh, uh, my, my body hurt. Okay. And like, like I, like I can go. Like, you tell me to do something, I'll do it. I'm super, like, just structured. Okay, I'll go run. I'll go work out. I reached out to Jared Anderson, uh, Henderson, uh, who you know. Uh, And I chatted with him a fair bit on, on how to do it. And I got to 58 days and Sarah, my body hurt and the fatigue and the exhaustion, it was so hard. I couldn't do 59 and I'm going to do it again this summer. I'm I'm determined to hit it, but anyways, nice. I recommend it. You know
2: what? I I, I may try it one time. I think the hardest part would be the no drinking for that long amount of time. (laughs) It's not, I love my red wine and, and I love drinking socially, especially, you know, yeah. you have to plan it where there's like no events. It's not the summer.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, but on the flip side, like Chris and I took a year off of drinking back in 2015 and we're like, you know, we went out and got drunk one night and the next day we're really hungover. And, you know, it's like that all oh, like a year off like, Oh, I'm never doing that again. We all, we all been there. And so we took that year off and the first probably 30 days was pretty hard. But then after that, it's like your body doesn't want it. So as you're doing the 75 hard, mm. you know, around day like 20, it's like, yeah, this is easy because your body starts craving the activity. It craves the structure, it craves being pushed. And then you have a glass of wine and then you can't go perform in the gym or you, you just get sluggish. I don't think it's as hard as you think it is. Like, I know it's not. So I think you should try it.
2: That's awesome. I, it really is the red wine for me. And it doesn't like yeah, I, just, just I one <laughs> glass of red wine with dinner. that's all I need, but it's yeah. not every, every night, but it is like, I, I get my, it. like, you know, my weak spot for sure. All right. Awesome. Number three, what, what do you do for fun?
0: Oh uh, man, right now i um, like, we, I work Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, from 12 to four. That's our coaching that we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't tend to work and I, I am all in on my kids right now. And my, Chris and I, we've realized that we have maybe one, maybe two years left with the kids at home. Candy's getting, should be going to college in a year. Uh, Grady's 14. When he turns 16, he could be playing junior hockey somewhere and he'll be moved out. And it's like right now we are all in on the kids. Like we, where I go watch their hockey, I we, we take them places. We, we just hang out with our kids. It's kind of lame, I know, but we're... That's that's our commitment is we want to hang out. We want to be with our kids as much as possible over the next year two years.
2: That's awesome. And and they're at the age now where probably a lot of their friends don't want to hang out with their parents. So, you know, kudos. Well,
0: to them. <laughs> well yeah, so funny you say that. So we actually moved to the lake a year ago. So when we moved to Kelowna, we lived just in this great area in Kelowna. But then when we moved here, we wanted to move to the lake. And so we bought a place on the lake two years ago, renovated it and we moved full time in May here. And the reason why we want it here is because our kids are at the age now is if we had a lake, lake house, we have the boat, we have the sea dews, we have the toys, the trampoline, we have all the stuff that now what's happening is our kids are coming here. All their friends are coming here because they want to play on the toys. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's awesome. So we feel as the kids are older, we're just going to be more and more in their lives because of the location we have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm everyone wants to hang out on the lake for sure. That sounds,
0: that sounds <laughs> Absolutely. Fun.
2: All yeah. right. Let's 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 go to the last question and then we'll wrap up. Last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it?
0: Coach, get coaching, you know, and I, saw, I actually saw a post you put on social media about the building your, your power team. And, and one of the things was having a mentor slash coach. I can't explain how important that is and i guess i get so many people be like oh why would i spend 20 grand or 25 grand or your example 50 grand uh, on coaching when i can go buy a house that's true you could go buy one house for sure and you probably can't even buy a house with 50 grand to be honest with you um but what if that coach can show you how to raise a million dollars what if that coach i we had a guy call i hope he doesn't listen to this podcast we had a guy call our um uh our, our our info line or whatever because we have some marketing for our coaching program and he's like uh yeah I don't want to pay for coaching just yet I want to go make as many mistakes as I possible and I want to learn from mistakes now that's 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 a different mentality uh I really believe that I would rather learn from your mistakes Mm -hmm. than go make my mistakes because the mistakes that I've made and probably you've made mistakes as well we all have where I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah And, you know, for $50,000, if that was the coaching program, and if I can go learn how to make a million and prevent myself from losing a million, that's a no brainer. And so I would say, go hire a coach, slow down, build the foundation of the, of the business, build the foundation of your structure, then go buy real estate. Because the truth is, Sarah, is anyone can go buy one or three houses, anyone in any market, in any part of the world. But to go from three to 10, you have to play the game right. And if you don't play the game right, you ain't going to 10. And if you don't go to 10, you don't get your financial freedom in five or 10 or 15 years, all because you didn't want to get a coach.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. Jared, what's the best place for people to reach out and find out more?
0: Uh, two websites. Uh, there's Tilt uh, tiltgroup.ca, which is our property uh, investment page. And then there's jkcoaching.ca. Uh, which is our real estate coaching page, or they can email me at jared at tiltgroup.ca.
2: Amazing! Thank you, Jared, for being on the show, and uh, it's a pleasure having you on again. Uh, second, I love second it. or Third time, I think you've been on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, hopefully, we don't. Hopefully, I see you before two years or three years or whatever it's been. So you look great. And congratulations on all your success. You're killing it. I love following you on social.
2: Thanks so much, and uh, yeah. and say, say hi to Krista and, uh, and the family. We'll have to keep in touch. I will. Thanks, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that.